to hold and give and do it at the right time and the right time is now to return for the first time in a couple of weeks to do a podcast about the soccer I need to apologize for that that's all on me my ears fell off last week and it was a terrible time I would yeah I'd actually forgot what was wrong with you then in my head was I was like did Ross have the poos I was like I can't remember what's going on (laughs) that was May 2022 uh where the poos happened but yeah these these headphones aren't actually attached to my head via my ears I've just got a couple of little sticks stuck out which is stopping them falling down the 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 reverse Mr Potato Head the reverse Mr Potato Head that's a wonderful analogy how are you doing anyway this fine week uh I've I'm I'm quite buoyant when it comes to football affairs and cross, but uh, in myself, I'm not bad. Just looking forward to Christmas, even though I'm not in the mood for it yet. Why not, you Scrooge? I don't don't know, because I genuinely, I I love Christmas. It's the, as I said the other day, it's the early time of the year that I am gruntled. Um, but I'm just, it's its not gripped me yet. It's not gripped me. I made the Hopefully mistake. that'll change. I've, I've spunked my Christmas load too soon, so to speak. It's been snowing everywhere since about the middle of November because I discovered, you know, Heart Radio, they've got a de- mm. dedicated Christmas radio, st- <clears throat> excuse me, a dedicated Christmas radio station. So that's been in the car since the middle of November. And this week I've just been like, I'm sick of this now. I'm sick of listening to Jonah <laughs> Louis seven times a week, even though it's my favourite Christmas song. Yeah, that is that bit is good. Uh, Sean, my missus, she's a bit weird. She loves classic FM at Christmas, so I'll just like come home and it's just like, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is not what I was expecting, but let's let's have some meat and potatoes. And speaking of meat and potatoes, we must start with our meat and potatoes segment of this Holding Give Football podcast, and that is when the illustrious Clive F in his nineties Liverpool football sweater this week, ding dong, twit two. Oh, I need to get my soundboard up. Surely, surely there's a sound that describes you wearing that jumper. Surely there is. <laughs> That's the closest I can do, unfortunately. Why are they always so quiet as well? It's a load of crap. Road Connect, sort yourself out. But Clive, what happened on this day in football history? Well, Ross, today as we are talking is December the 13th, 2023. Let me take you back to December the 13th, 1981. And we go to the Intercontinental Cup. Have you, are, you, are you aware of the Intercontinental Cup? Vaguely, but not all too well So it was a, a precursor to the Club World Cup as we have it now and it was a meeting of the European and South American champions it wasn't a tournament like for four team tournament like it is now um, in the beginning no English teams took it seriously I think the European 60s European Cup winning United sign refused to go uh, some of the 70s Liverpool teams refused to go but in 1981 Bob Paisley's Liverpool best team on the planet just went yeah, we'll go. Let's go. Let's go to Tokyo for some reason to play Flamengo in front of 62,000. And you know what happened? <laughs> they got beat. You got twatted 3 0. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've read up more on this. Apparently, it did shell shock. It was a full strength Liverpool squad. We're talking Dalglish, we're talking Phil Neal, we're talking Sunes in there. Um, and I think they just took Flamengo lightly. And this is Flamengo, of course, captained by Zico. So it's not like it was a. A crap flamingo side, but uh, we we got our revenge in 2019. So that's that's what happened in 1981, anyway. What was the 2019 score? I've got no recollection of that 2019 game happening, even though it definitely did because the you know the, the Champions League win and all that stuff. You never shut up yeah. about. Uh, it was one nil. It was a uh, Bobby Firmino, I think, like 92nd minute winner, and he was a boyhood flamingo side, and his dad was in the crowd, just like I win regardless. <laughs> he was just happy. So. <laughs> 
What else happened on this day in football? Hostarai. Well, this one, this one's quite sad, but uh, I had to put it in just because it's mental and just weird. So in 1998, it was Aston Villa versus Arsenal at Villa Park. Half-time entertainment came in the form of Santa parachuting into Villa Park, but a strong gust of wind knocked him off course. He clipped the Trinity Road stand. We shouldn't laugh. He fell 80 foot pitch side. I've um, never heard this story before. No, um, the, the parachute is portraying Santa. He was from the RAF. He's called Nigel Rogoff. Lost a leg in the accident. Oh, my God. Um, but later became part of the first team of amputees to row the Atlantic in 2016. Um, so... Fair play to Rogoff, but it's just, it's it's mental, this kind of, 98, obviously, we're a few years on from the, you know, the creation of the Premier League, but we were still kind of stuck in that bombasticness of it. it we need like, to be American sports with cheerleaders and that sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah, because if you think about it, Villa versus Arsenal in 98, that's just going to be, what, 45,000 pissed up brummies wanting to chant abuse of Cockneys. That they're, they're not bothered if Santa comes parachuting in. So luckily it's... Uh, Halftime stuff's changed a little since then, but yeah, I'd never heard of this either, but that's that's horrific. It's a horrific story. I was thinking, oh, it's going to be light and jovial on the day in football history segment, but no, that is absolutely horrible. But nice to hear that some good things happened to him afterwards, like with the, the Atlantic sail and that sort of stuff. Well, you wanted to keep it light and fluffy. I've, I've thrown in a treat for you here, Ross, and I'll say the scoreline and you know the match exactly. 2003, Newcastle United 4, Spurs 0. Lauren Robert, two worldies. Is it the best brace in Premier League history? It's up there. I mean, when yeah. it, straight away comes to mind was a, a bit of a, a bit of Papa Cisse, a Chelsea away. Remember he scored the, yeah. the volley in the first half and then that weird banana bender of a second one in the second half. But yeah, Robert puts his foot through it. That's what we like to see when it comes to the soccer's. Why is it always the left footer who can hit the ball the hardest? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's a thing of um, if it's like defenders and goalkeepers are just more used to taking stuff from right footers because they're more prevalent maybe. So the left footers think, oh, I can see gaps here. I might as well just absolutely smash it. Yeah, you think of Robert, Roberto Carlos. You Mm. think of Eric Edmund at Anfield at that time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, moving swiftly on from Lauren Robert, having a worldie. It's a happy birthday to Santi Cazola, who turns 39 today. Underrated player and also the greatest Mm. unveiling in football history. When he signed for Villarreal again after his time at Arsenal, came to one end. How he appeared out of thin air, Jackins. It's unbelievable. With the with the magician, me just saying. Then we've kind of moved on on from like the halftime bollocks of the Premier League, but we've now got the 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 player unveiling bollocks of the the twenty twenties and late twenty tens. Burnley, the leaders of the market in that sort of field, closely followed by Villarreal just because of that Santi Carzola unveiling. Although I don't think they've done much else since. If you're a Villarreal fan, let me know how they try to top Santi Carzola in a, would you call it like a, a gas cylinder? That's how it was. It was like a smoky gas cylinder that he appeared out with thin air. Yeah, it was a tube that filled with vapours. And then when the vapours were gone, Santi Cazola was there with his massive face, just smiling. <laughs> There we go from smiles, though, to unhappy faces. Unhappy faces of the fans of Manchester United, as Gary Neville likes to call them, because last night, as we're sat here, they went out of the Champions League with a whimper. Lol. It's not a lol. It was quite sad to watch. I saw a large portion of the game, and you're thinking they've got to win to save their bacon in the Champions League, and they managed one shot on target, a 30-yarder from Luke Shaw, which was straight down the throat of the goalkeeper. He just punched it over the bar, made it a bit more dramatic than it had to be. 
But it's a must-win game. Bayern Munich, we know they're a quality side, but they didn't get out of second gear. What, what's going on at Manchester United? Um, I think we'll come on to this a little later, but it's I'm quite happy that we've got them next in the Premier League. I'll say that much. Um, Were you saying the same thing like the summer of 2022, that game at Old Trafford? Like Ten Hag had that horrible start away at Brentford and somewhere hmm. else. And then they played Liverpool at Old Trafford, didn't they? And they bloody beat you, didn't they? Yeah, but when it comes to Man United managers on the ropes in December, we've sacked two in the last few years by battering them. Oh. We got we got rid of Mourinho and Solskjaer by absolutely spanking them. <laughs> but um, I do feel for Ten Hag, though. I, I think he's a good manager and he does need time. But they just... It was pathetic. It was absolutely... like but the, the dictionary definition of pathetic, where you're just like, oh, I pitied United last night and never think you'd say that in the no, I stuck something in the notes that I'm, I'm surprised you have a bit on because obviously a lot of people are now calling for Eric Ten Hag's head. I personally feel the issues are a lot bigger than just changing the manager once again. It's from the recruitment mm. all the way down. I'm not going to bring the glaze into it because they have spent a hell of a lot a hell of a lot of money. I know things could be run better, but I don't think that's the first issue. I think player recruitment's the first issue, and Ten Hag's a bit further down that sort of list if you want to call it a list. But yeah, Jurgen Klopp. When he arrived in Liverpool, I think that's quite comparable to where Man United find themselves currently in terms of a squad that needs a couple of big additions and then you get those sorted and then the rest of it you sort of... Because I remember when they assigned Mane, that's, was it the summer of 2016, I think? And there was that game away at Arsenal where he scored that world yes, in the top yeah, corner. in his debut, yeah, yeah. So you've hit gold with uh, Mane there. And then it felt like a couple of other signings obviously happened around that same time as well that paid off very well. Then you got yourselves into a position the following summer where you're like, right, we need Mo Salah and we need Alisson. And then you just went, wee, straight upwards. Is I think that's where my United are currently. I'd say the only difference, because there's been a lot of debate about this online, is you could see that the Liverpool team... They'd lost belief after Rogers, and then obviously you got Steven Gerrard leaving and stuff like that. And but you could see that there was a kind of willingness there. They were like, right, we we we've got enough quality here. We're bringing in quality. Let's build. The United players all look like they've given up. And you say there about Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw has been resurgent. I'd say um, this season, tail end of last season. And Scott McTominay has been really good for United. But when they're arguably two of your standout players, something's gone a bit wrong, hasn't it? Yeah, I do feel a bit um, bad for McTominay because he he was wank last night. He couldn't pass a ball to save his life. And I know for hmm. a fact that like that one bad game will outweigh the last-minute winner against, was it Brentford at home, I think it was, and the other hmm. important goals that he scored so far this season because everyone's just waiting. Oh, he's not good enough. As soon as he has a bad game, let's pile on him. So I feel a bit bad for him. But I wanted to ask, like, when Klopp first arrived for that, because I know, obviously, Liverpool were a bit further down. They had that really weird summer where they signed, or was it the summer before that where they signed Balotelli and that getting ready for the Champions League? Then it was the year yeah. after when Klopp arrived. How long was it before Liverpool became what Liverpool became well, after Klopp's arrival? I'm, I'm trying to remember because I, 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 I can remember as clearly uh, getting him in because it was after a, Mersey, a terrible Merseyside derby that I was living in Trotter at the time and I think I got up at 6am to go watch. Um, I don't know because the, the, there was there was a, a big buoyancy because it was like a, it was an oh my god it was like we've got Jurgen Klopp here it'd be like if Newcastle went out tomorrow and got Mbappe you'd be like how have we pulled this off Jesus Christ um, a little while you guided us to that Europa League final in 2016 
with basically Brendan Rodgers' squad and we didn't win because Alberto Moreno pooed the bed. Um, <laughs> but it, it didn't feel like it was too long at all um, because obviously they were saying about the Rodgers years, they like, you'll finish second and then we'll finish like, I think fifth maybe. And we were just all over the shop really where it seemed with Klopp, it was kind of two step forward, one step back rather than one step forward, two back, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it was, but it was, oh, they were great. I remember being so happy we got them. Yeah. Still are. I just I just bring that up because obviously a lot of people are saying like where's the progression in terms of Eric Ten Hag's time at Man United? I was like, when did if we want to compare it to Klopp, who obviously was afforded time, as I think Eric Ten Hag should be because there's other issues that are bigger than him mm. at Man United. Um, when do we? If, if we're sat here in a year's time and the, the football's the same for Man United, we're thinking, oh yeah, maybe it's time for Eric Ten Hag to go. But I'm saying yeah. like, uh, how far was it into Klopp's before that Liverpool became what they were? And can we compare this to where Man United will be under under Eric Ten Hag? I don't know if. That's a discussion to be had, Jarkins, or not? Yeah, I'm not too sure. It, it feels different because I think with the case of Liverpool, we'd accepted that Rodgers wasn't going to be the guy, but we thought he'll do for now. And then when we got Klopp, it's like, right, let's back him. Where it feels like United, like every other manager is like, right, this is the guy to rebuild it. Oh no, let's get rid of Van Hal. Oh, Mourinho's in. This is the guy to rebuild. Let's get rid of it. It just feels like it's too stop-start. I do think he... Again, like you say, when um, he came into United and battered Liverpool, I was thinking, oh, they've this could be a really good marriage of like his football and principles and his ideals and you know the the way that United was set up at the time. But it just feels like the players can't be asked. I do think it is a huge rebuild. Anthony, Sancho, Martial, Casemiro this season. Varane's on the bench. He needs to go. I'm just going through all the players that I think should go. Dallo, I don't think, has turned up any trees this season, mm. despite that worldly a couple of weeks ago. The keeper, I'd be looking at changing because it, like, it doesn't look like it's getting any better <laughs> week on week. There's so many I players mean, need to go before the manager, I think. And as the, there's the question of, like, even though he's a good player, Fernandez's um Temperament, yeah. Yeah, because um, he's he's suspended for the the Liverpool game, and people have been taking taking the mix, saying he's done that on purpose. Remember when we, I can't remember what it was it last season or the season before when we battered them, and he was asking to get subbed off at one point, wasn't he? So I, I don't I remember when they gave him the captain's armband. I was like, I don't think he's the right kind of personality to be blood and thunder at the front, but he, on his day, he's their best player. Yeah. On his day. How long has it been since his day, though? It's been a while anyway. We go from the Champions League headline to the Premier League headli- headline. Sorry, Hegwigs. Headlines from game week 16. Getting all tongue-tied there. And, of course, we've got start with my United. Nil, Bournemouth three. Five minutes and then Dominic Solanke touches in a deftly little flick at the near post across Onana after some wank trying try to pass it out from the back instead of just hoofing it long. Why can't we hoof it long in the game these days? We need to bring back some hoofball. Yeah, I there's a time and a place. There is a time and a place for it, Ross. But I just uh, rather than put the boots into United again, I can't believe Dominic Solanke's form. He's been fantastic these last few weeks. I never ever thought I'd say that. Um, I was chatting with my group chat the other day, including one of my mates who couldn't stand him at Liverpool, and even he was just like. He's looking amazing at the moment. Yeah, I think he's got eight goals now this season. I think his previous best season was six or something like that. Yeah, so fair play to him. He's been in my fantasy squad, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I reckon he's overtaken Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the pantheon of England strikers. 
which is still mm. not quite in the squad, but it's getting nearer to the squad. I don't think he'll make the Euros, but he is doing very well indeed in that target man come link-up play Solomon Rondon 2 role. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't just that goal for Bournemouth. Of course, there was two more on top of that, but they had a lot of chances as well. They had the deflected goal from Tavernier that was uh, ruled out, obviously. Solanke then hit the beans on toast. Another disallowed goal in the second half, which I thought was a little bit harsh, but I can see why it's given with the law being what it is, where it hits Utara's arm before he put it in the open goal. Man United yeah. had that Maguire header that almost looped in. A couple of openings in the second half, and then big Phil Billing arrives at the back post to bash it in with his head. Um, but again, it was another... It was more... Well, obviously, you're going to have more success against Bournemouth at home than you are by Munich at home. But you're thinking, you're 1-0 down to Bournemouth at home. Let's try and sort this out. We've not been in the best form this season. We've just been beat by Newcastle last weekend. Let's get back on track. And there was still not that real, like, you know, the fire and brimstone, so to speak, Jargons. I wasn't seeing any shape from them either. You were saying before about passing it from the back, the defence looks really leaky and Bournemouth was slaughtering them at times. Excuse me. But the midfield was very sloppy as well. It 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 didn't look like they could string more than three or four passes together at a time, if that. I, like we were saying before, I, I the team just don't look arsed. No. I don't know if that's them not playing for the manager or if that's a case of them just being like, we're buggered here. We 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 can't. We, we're down. We know we can't overturn this. I don't know what is going on with them. Yeah, just need to get rid of all the players. They need to do something like I'm trying to think of a team that did that much. They need to take a leaf out of my Luton Town career mode on EAFC. Literally yeah. 25 transfers a summer window. That's what needs to happen there. In guns, out guns. 25 in total. That'll sort things out. We'll, we'll see how that plays I remember, out. I remember reading a thing because someone noticed that um, since maybe Solskjaer, maybe it was the end of Mourinho's time at Man United, um, every single transfer window they've made three signings, whether it be permanent or loan, uh, two loan, one permanent, something like that. It's always mm. been three big first team signings uh, per window, and that's that's not going to fix anything. You need six no. or seven with this squad. Yeah, and like you, you were saying before, the the amount on your list. Uh, but it's it's the case of who's going to buy them because that's the problem with United being United. The amount of wages they're on. We've talked in the past about Sancho and he's kind of pigeonholed himself. There's only a handful of teams who could really afford to pay him what he wants. Um, it's definitely easier said than done, but it's something that needs doing. Big time. Then, of course, Sanessi made it 3-0 with a free header, six yards out from a corner. Massive booze in Old Trafford. If you don't support Man United, it was really funny uh, because it's obvi- it's, a, it's a noise I always associate with Newcastle for, for many years there when we were getting pumped left, right and centre all the time. But to see it at Old Trafford, it was a little bit funny. But conceding a goal like that from a corner is unreal. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was far too easy for, for, for both the headers for... Um... For Senesi's and for Billings, um, they were really nice goals. But like you said, just if they, if they'd had a bit more composure at the back, neither of those you'd think are getting anywhere near the keeper. Yeah, and just one more bit on Man United. They've now dropped twelve points at home this season after one loss in thirty games before this current crap season that they're having. Uh, so what's happening here? What is going on? I don't know. But I just think you just need to overhaul the complete squad. But obviously Bournemouth as well now moving up that their league they are. Yeah, because uh, at the beginning of the season, I was after a couple of you know iffy performances from them. I was thinking, oh, I don't know, I, I don't know if they've uh, if they've got the the metal 
the mustard to stay up the season. But like we were saying before about Solanke, already, what did you say, eight goals this season? Like They've it. really turned the corner. I, I don't think they'll get higher than mid-table, but I think, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, big time. Because it was obviously a weird one getting rid of Gary O'Neill like they did and then replacing him with a relative unknown over here. But it looks mm. like they've given him time. It was a horrible start of the season, but now it looks like he's starting to stamp his... Uh, stamp his What's the, what's the saying? Stamp his mark on the team. What mark authority? Is, stamp his authority on the team. St- yeah. You know his patterns of play and all that sort of stuff. Put his marker on the team. You know what I'm trying to yeah. say, Jack Atkins. I'm trying to th- think of a, the football book of cliches, but I'm, I can't think of it right now. It's on uh, page fifty-five. You want to turn to there, Ross? Uh, he's starting to play well with them. Aston yeah. Villa won Arsenal nil. <laughs> Fifteen straight home wins now for Aston Villa. Some may call if you go to page sixty-two of the football book of cliches. Some may call Villa Park a what is it? What does it say down there? It says here a fortress. That Ross. is correct. Fifteen straight home wins in a row now. <laughs> uh, John McGinn on the spin after some nice move, uh, building up from the back down the right hand side. Cut back from Bailey. Composure mm. from Big JM. It's, it's John McGinn. I mean, Bailey's been the, the standout, but John McGinn, it's, it's, it seemed for the longest time he was a bit of a punchline. And so it's nice to see him actually playing out of his skin. 15 wins on the bounce. John uh, McGinn Lee, Lee. out of his skin. It's unbelievable. And he puts him in the top bin times. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I've completely lost all. Sorry about that. (laughs) On John McGinn, though, I didn't. I can't believe where they're they're sort of playing him in this weird height. It's like a reverse Trent, where he's like he's on the right midfield sometimes, and he comes inside instead of being on the right and then going inside. It's an unreal hybrid role that uh, Unai Emery's got him playing in. He's. He's his trusted magician in the middle of the park, it seems. Because <laughs> obviously, match of the day, I saw this, um, I'll, I'll match the day, the, 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 the bit of uh, analysis they did here, but the, his range of passing after he sticks his fat arse into someone to uh, tackle them and knock them off the ball, he sticks his fat arse in, that ju- juicy double that he's got, which he uses wonderfully well. Maybe the best use of a juicy double since Kenny Daglish way back in the day. Uh, but after he does that, which he did all the time, he's now got an eye, an eye for a pass, which is obviously helping Villa on counter-attacks and stuff like that. Do you think this form is sustainable though or do you think they're just keep riding it until the wheels fall off? I don't know, with Europe? Because how, how are they... It makes me sick as a Newcastle fan, let me tell you, because they're dealing with the European schedule a lot better than Newcastle and I want to know what the secret <laughs> formula is. What's the difference it's, it's, between Aston Villa and Newcastle and how, are they, how can they cope with the same amount of games? It was the wisdom that Stephen Gerrard imparted upon them <laughs> until going, do you know what, lads? I'm going to... Sweat your billion a year from Abu Dhabi. See you later. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's because most 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 of us, apart from yourself, tip Villa to be the dark horse of the season. But I think they've gone beyond all expectations. I was thinking, oh, they'll they'll, they'll push for a Champions League place. But heading into the Christmas break, they're pushing for the top of the league. Must be amazing to be a Villa fan right now. Yeah, big time. Uh, but yeah, Arsenal did. Uh, it was it was a relatively convincing one 0 home win, and I use the word convincing because that home win they had against Manchester City that we didn't get to talk about last week was the most convincing one 0 home win I've ever seen mm. in all my days watching football. They were unreal there. Arsenal did have the moments here uh, where where Emmy Martinez read Odegaard like a book when uh, Odegaard made that little bit of bit of space in the eighteen yard box. Uh, Martinez sort of where that moment he patted it off Watkins and it came back Watkins off the post. Back. 
Christ. Um, there was uh, Odegaard spaffing one wide, which normally he would hit the target from there. Saka, obviously, with the offside goal as well. And then we get to the handball at the very end, which I feel conflicted on. I'll let you go first this time. How do you feel about that one? Well, when I was watching it, I was like, Havertz should feel aggrieved for the shout. But it was just a mess. I had to watch it back a few times. So it it came off cash. Nothing cash could do about it. But judging by decision this season and arms in positions and all that, you, you've seen them given more often than not. And then did it came back off? Did it come back off Havertz's hand and then into cash again and <clears> then back into Havertz's hand? And then it was mental. Um I, yeah, my my thoughts when I was watching it is that if if I was, I I, I could see why Havertz was fuming because he was not happy at all. Probably a penalty for me by the letter of the law, but it's 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 one of those rules in place that I've never really agreed with anyway. Because I think it's it, I I like the old ball to hand rule as opposed to the handball rule, but. Yeah. Modern game, I'm surprised that wasn't a penalty. Yeah. I really am. Because initially I was thinking, right, it's hit Cash on the arm, then it's hit Havertz twice on the arm. Uh, I guess they've given it you know, to the striker because it's hit his hand more and maybe mm. more deliberately, even though it wasn't deliberate. But you know what I'm trying to say? Like Cash was sort of facing the wrong way when it hits his elbow. But then you look at it and you just think it hasn't been given for Cash's handball, but then has been given for Havertz's handball. Why is it not the favour of the striker? Why, why are we trying to take goals away from games instead of trying to throw them in? I honestly don't know how I feel about it. The handball law in the box is an absolute mess. The referees don't know what they're doing, not in this instance, but just in general. I, can, I could have seen it if it got given either way as an impartial person watching the game, I could see either way, but it's, it just feels a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's I'm, I'm trying to stay on your side here because obviously this, uh, as a Liverpool fan, this result did a lot for us and it was arguably the result I was hoping for. But I, I do actually feel that Arsenal sh- probably should have had a penalty. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Maybe. Mm. Crystal Palace 1, Liverpool oh, 2. Before we go on to Jürgen Klopp's uh, terrible reds, the main thing for me watching Arsenal is they need more quality up front, but I don't know who they should be targeting in the January window. Ivan Tony is apparently the name, Joe Atkins. How do you feel about mm. that one? He'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's like, he's because Gabriel Jesus, the thing I didn't realise about him before he signed for, my, uh, for Arsenal is that he's so good in the build-up, but then when it comes mm. to scoring the goal... That's what lets him down because it felt like the other way around at Manchester City. But um, yeah. I think Tony might be Jesus, but with a finish as well. And that might be the difference. It feels weird to say, but I think when you put Tony in that team and better players and around and all that sort of stuff, I think he's Jesus, but with a finish as well. Would you play him instead of Jesus or would you try and be like having both of them to just kind of work around each other? I think it's it's doable that you could play Jesus in behind, sort of where Havertz is kind of playing. I don't like Kai Havertz yeah. as a footballer. I don't think he's suited to our game. I think he's in Germany where you get a bit more time and that sort of stuff. I think that's what he likes and what he needs. I just don't think he's very effective in the Premier mm. League. I don't know if there's Arsenal fans listening to this who's going to say, he's had a bloody turnaround in recent weeks, Ross. What are you talking about, you mug? Uh, but I'm happy to be called a mug if he is playing well, but I've, I've not seen it personally. I just think maybe Jesus, again, with that build-up play, just how strong he is and how intricate he is with his passing, maybe playing him like Man City do Alvarez. Maybe that's yeah. something Arsenal could do before uh, behind a proper centre half, uh, centre half, centre forward. 
Yeah, because it's like you said, he, he's a very intelligent player and it, it's just not going in the back of the net. It's the page 95 of the old cliches. That's the one job of a, uh, a forward, really. Put it in the back of the net and you ask got, questions later. Turn your page one more. It's how your centre forwards are judged. There we are. Yeah, subsection B there. <laughs> We're going to have to release one of these eventually, aren't we? And make lots of money. Uh, Crystal Palace 1, Liverpool 2. Alisson with a save of the season contender in the first half. Do you want to pleasure yourself for a minute or two by talking about that save? Oh, I was just... <laughs> it, it was less the save itself and just more what Alisson means to the squad. Because the last couple of weeks when he was out, um, we've got Queen Kelleher, who's you know he's a fine number two, but Alisson is arguably the best keeper in the world. Um, and just the, the difference in the two players, if we had Kelleher play in this game, through no fault of his own, he's like I said, he's a fine keeper, but that probably would have gone in. Allison's just amazing. And he is the reason last year that we probably didn't get relegated. And he's probably our most important player again this season. He's just superb. Yeah, he is. he's not bad, is he? He does a fantastic save right at the end from Anderson as well, where obviously mm. Palace are pushing for the equaliser and many goalkeepers might have faltered in that kind of moment, but he pulls out of the bag once again. He is the best goalkeeper in the league and I think by quite some distance now as well. Um, mm. He is very, very good. He's, I think he's going to be one of... He gets obviously highly rated now a lot, but I feel like he's one of those keepers that when he's gone and someone's got to try and fill his boots good and proper. Because I know Kelleher is a fine goalkeeper, but he's never... As long as Alisson's there, I don't think he's going to be number one. I think Klopp even said Kelleher could be a number one eventually. Um, yeah. But I feel like when Alisson goes, that's when you'll really like appreciate what he is, if that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> Kelleher's more our kind of cup keeper, and I think the summer previous, the summer that we've just had even, um, there was rumblings that he wanted to leave and become a number one. No fans that I'd heard of were begrudging of him of that, because you can understand. I think he was linked to Tottenham at one point. Um, but nothing concrete came of it. And, you know, Klopp's convinced him. He's like, look, you're going to get some European games. You're going to probably get the both cup runs and, you know, matches here and there. So, but next summer, I, I could see him going. Because like you said, while we've got Alisson, he's he's not getting a sniff at that number one jersey unless Alisson touch wood, like if he were to break his hand or something like that. Yeah, uh, Liverpool have put down on the notes here, getting away with one after the foul from Hughes on Endo before it was a stonewall. Pedo when Van Dijk fouled whoever it was inside the box, but on a rare occasion, VAR gets it right with the foul for Hughes on Endo. Yes, um, like you said, definitely a stonewall pano. And I saw an argument about it saying this is one of the times when, even though VAR got it right, back in the day, the ref probably would have just blown after the tackle from Hughes on Endo because he, he had a, I think he had a pretty clear sight of it and he knew that that was a foul but for some reason the play went on but um, yeah we, I was watching this I was watching this on FaceTime with my friends one only lives around the corner but one's in Sydney so we all FaceTimed it uh, and as it was going on we were just like oh this is I don't know why they're going to the monitor for this it's definitely a penalty but then when we saw they were looking at Endo we were like oh actually okay let's see how this rolls out but he said uh, a rare win for VAR oh the, no I'm not going to say that no. uh, then we get the bad side of it well I say the bad side it was a penalty uh, when Kwanzaa mm. took down Mateta it's just the fact that we took 17 hours to get there it is a pen but it completely the game had we talked about when Spurs, that Spurs Liverpool incident where they couldn't bring it back because the game had gone on so long. The game went on for ages here, <laughs> and then yeah. they brought it back. <laughs> it, 
it was it, it was strange, but like you said, it was definitely the right call. Quanta, he's you know he's he's shown glimpses of being a really good player, but he's still only young. I think he was hooked at half time, if not slightly afterwards. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, and like you said, that, that's that's the kind of tackle that a young player would make. It was quite rash. Definitely, definitely a peno. But like you said, it's it, it's it's always the the argument with VAR. You don't mind it if it works, if it works right. But it's it's the balance. Do you want it to not work, but the game flows, or do you want it to work and things get meted out? I saw that Gary Lydic has fully gone against VAR now. He was always a big VAR supporter. Now he's completely against it because it, it just ruins the game. I'll say mm. it again on the pod. I'm just I'm happy with one human error getting it wrong. It's just the other human errors on top of the initial human error getting it wrong that just makes it a load of crap. Keep it for offsides, keep it for goal line, but the rest of it just scrap it and bring it back when it's fit for purpose, in my opinion. Yeah, I I, I think it should be used as like you said, goal line, um, handballs. I I don't mind it for diving as well, just mm. because. Diving's an arseholy thing. Uh, it is the dark arts. So Liverpool did show some dark arts in this match, which we'll talk about in a second, I'm sure, Ross. Yeah, but Mateta stuck away that pen to make it his second goal in 40 appearances for Crystal Palace. You wouldn't tell by the pen. Put it down the middle. Ballsy, know, man. Lovely. Yeah. Big balls. Uh, then we have Ayu's red card. Now, the first one, I get it. He's blocked the free kick. It's ungentlemanly conduct, whatever you want to call it. I can see why it's mm. a yellow card, because that's just the way things are. But the second one, it's a nothing tackle. It's in a nothing area of the pitch. I reckon if we see eight out of ten of those tackles, we're going to see just a foul uh, free kick given and nothing else. What's the referee doing here? Yeah, I, I felt really bad for Ayu. Um I- especially like you said but I think both of them were soft even though like you're saying that the first yellow was ungentlemanly unsportsmanlike <laughs> conduct uh, ungentlemanly unsportsmanlike conduct um, it's still a soft yellow because Van Dyke did basically just like give him half a second to get out of it and then boosted that at him and I've said in the past that Liverpool we need to be more arsehole on the pitch and it, it has worked for us in this case but the second one on Elliot that was there was nothing in that at all Elliot didn't even make a meal of it he was still pretty much straight back on his feet and I went um, I yeah I, feel, I felt bad for Palace at that one because that was never a red card. I should say you did hear me correctly when I said ungentlemanly conduct because that came from my playing days in my youth, right? We had a, mm. I'm not going to say his name because it's a bit of an embarrassing story for his dad, but basically we had this right midfielder for our team would stand on the touchline whenever someone had a long throw on them just to get in their way. And this lad was winding up for a long throw, so he went and stood on the touchline right in front of where he was going to throw it in on the pitch. And the lad who was taking the throw in just went, ah hawked it straight in his face like a Rory Delap, but like from two yards away, right on the end of his nose. And this lad, the lad who was blocking the long throw, his dad went mental, but he was such a polite man. He would never swear. He went, referee, that is unacceptable. That is ungentlemanly conduct. And he was just <laughs> shouting that. And I was like, you were... <laughs> he was getting laughed at. I was exhausted. Arsenal teenagers. Ah, oh, sit down. What are you talking about, Manchester? That sort of carry on. But it's just the fact when you get a bit older, you appreciate where he's coming from there with his ungentlemanly conduct line. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, one last point on the the, the gentleman, Ayu. Uh, the only thing I could say, uh, the, the other side of the coin is, if you're on a yellow, you, you, you know, 
have a bit more nouse about you. But it wasn't like Jota the other week, no. the other month at Tottenham, was it? It was just, it yeah. was a nothing foul. I just, I, I thought it was a, it was the wrong, mm. it was too harsh a call. Uh, but that obviously, cha- I think it, cha- did it change the game? Because Liverpool were definitely coming back into it, but it definitely made their job a lot easier. It's it's weird because we've been playing terribly recently, but we keep getting winners in like the last 15 minutes. Uh, like I was saying before, it was on FaceTime with me, right? My mate in Sydney said, I bet, because it was, half past midnight or something daft there. And he said, it better not be one of those games where we're crap for 80 minutes and then we're boss. <laughs> and he was off by four minutes, I think. I think it was... The... Um, we, we were definitely resurging, but just them going a man down just gave us the impetus to really press on because it was like, if we're not winning it now, I, I don't even think we deserved a point out that game. I thought we were terrible. I honestly did, but... I'm not complaining. But if <laughs> too you go much. if you go to page thirty two, Jackins, I think when you find your team plays like that and they win, that is what they call the sign of champions. Um, I if it was any other team, I'd be saying that, but uh, I'm not saying that about my beloved Liverpool <laughs> yet. But I was the red card. Then it felt like pretty much straight away. It was seventy six minutes on the clock. Salah gets that deflected first goal. Two hundred mm-hmm. for them Reds now for Salah. Any thoughts on him and how? Good he is. <laughs> I don't know why I said that so perversely. Any thoughts on him and how good he is? It's, it's still kind of mind-boggling that we signed him as a a winger and obviously we'd had glimpses of him at Chelsea and he didn't really do much and then it was in Serie A where he properly put it together. I don't think any of us were saying at the time, this fella is going to propel us on to win pretty much everything and will be staring down Billy Little's Goals tally. He's not getting anywhere near Ian Rush, but yeah, fifth fifth highest scorer of all time. I think he is now for Liverpool. Mental. It is crazy how little time he's been there in relative speaking, so to speak. Mm. Uh, then if things can get worse for Crystal Palace, obviously Sam Johnson goes off. Remy Matthew comes on. Ma- Matthews, sorry, there's more than one. Just little men in a big suit. Uh, he came on for his first appearance in the Premier League after signing two and a half years ago. Um, and then Harvey Elliott just... He has a little dribble, edge of the box, little snaky hips. Bit of Peter Beasley about this one, I thought, and he just twats it in the near post. <laughs> I, I like it. Harvey Elliott is, is, is the modern-day Peter Beasley with that one, yes. <laughs> Gives it all for that lack of bed on his chest. Um, it was, it's, it's been one of those for Elliott because we've had him a couple of seasons now when he's still only, I think, 21 or something daft. Um He's been not getting as much game time as I think he would have expected going into the season, but he's he's been banging on the door with his cameos recently. Uh, some I think someone on Match of the Day compared him to, could he be the new Fairclough, the, the old super sub? Um, I think in his heart, he'll be wanting to play more. We've got, you know, a dead, not a dead rubber. We've got um, yeah, Union Gilloise, I think. Um like, who's got? I can't remember. My mind is fudge. Is that Alexis McAllister's brother's team, or is that yes. a different team? All right, I think so. Yeah, it's we we we're, we're through at the top of the Europa League, but he'll surely be starting this one this week. Um, but it was a hell of a goal. It's it's been coming for him, and considering that our front three aren't looking great right now, I could see Klopp maybe giving him a start. Maybe not against Liverpool. I was going to say, I'd, I'd leave him as a sub against United because he's a, a boyhood Liverpool fan. And if you're in search of a goal in 70 minutes, bring it on Harvey Elliott against uh, what is currently, Touchwood looking like a kind of 
bitten Man United side. That could really pay dividends. Yeah, you are playing that team, by the way. Tomorrow night mm. is where I sat here. Uh, but yeah, I've just if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be happy winning games like that. I wouldn't give a toss how bad you were on the day because you won the game at the end of the day. But it's it's one of those as well we were saying before about is, is Villa's form sustainable? It's like, is Liverpool's form sustainable? We've really surely got to kind of tighten up. It doesn't matter that we're, you know, we're eking out these wins, but we are eking them out. I'd, I'd rather we're kind of more controlling from minute one. You're a perfectionist, aren't you? A perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. But I, uh, one good thing, going slightly back to uh, Salah getting his 200th goal, I realised that I'm not the only old scouter with a terrible memory because the <laughs> Liverpool put videos up of you know some of his best goals, including some absolute cork as he scored against Watford. And my mate Phil sent it to the group chat saying, I was in the, he put himself, he's like, oh, I was in the cop for this Watford one. And I messaged him saying, it was Phil, I went I went with you to this game. I was stood next to you. And then he messaged back saying, me and Jack were in the cop for this one. Fantastic. <laughs> so, something in the water here. Yeah. Uh, there's something in the water at Newcastle United at the minute because that's the next game we're going to talk about. Spurs 4, Newcastle United 1. Newcastle did have a couple of moments early on. We had the strike from Bruno from the edge of the mm. area, sort of whistled higher and wider and more Alan Hansener, uh, the more went towards the goal. Then we had that Anthony Gordon ball across the box, which Ben Davies somehow flicked onto Isaac and it went wide. It was a pleasant first 10 minutes. But then, Kieran Trippier... Mm. I need to talk about him. The guy needs a rest. He gave away the two goals at the Ev on the Thursday because his legs stopped working. And now he's defending against, like he's defending, I've put it like a child against Son. That's a bit harsh because Son was very, very good here. But I just think his legs aren't working in time with his brain at the moment because he's that tired. That second like dribble that Son did where he set up Richarlison for the second Spurs goal. The way that Trippier flicks out his leg, it's just that split second too late. And I'm like, if he were fully fit, I'd be more confident of you keeping up with Son. Maybe not stopping him, but the way he just flicked his leg, I was like, oh, he's knackered, isn't he? Bless him. You could tell half the squad were knackered just watching them. Um, who, who's your backup for Trippier or is your backup also injured at the moment? Tino. Of course. We've, yeah. got Har- we've got Harrison Ashby out, out on loan at Swansea, who apparently is doing well. He was signed sort of January last year, I think it was. He was apparently the 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 heir, the heir to the throne that Kieran Trippier sits on at the moment. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's Tino. We've got... Because we signed Lewis Hall from Chelsea. I'm starting to think Newcastle's got cold feet about Lewis Hall because we signed him on loan and we've got a, an obligation to pay £28 million, I think it is, in the summer if he hits certain appearance things. And he's just he's not getting used at the minute. He's not getting played. Yeah. And I've got to think that's because maybe Eddie Howe's seen him at close quarters for a few months and then he's just thought he's not the answer. So, yeah, Lewis Hall should be our backup left-back with Dan Byrne out, uh, or you know, competing with Dan Byrne to start at left-back. Tino, who I think is more of a right-back because he is primarily right-footed, is playing left-back, but he's doing incredibly well because he's the best footballer in the world. Um, so yeah, now Kieran Trippier's got no competition at right back. We've got Emil Kraft, but he's been injured for the longest time and he's been used more as a centre-half when Eddie Howe's called upon him because he's not the best going forward. He's all right, but he's not the best. So Trippier at the minute's not really got any pressure on him at right back and I think that's maybe showing. Yeah, and I mean, it, it didn't help that he's got Dubravka behind him as well. I saw a lot of people calling for his, his head after his recent performances. He's injured. <sighs> He's injured, Jack Atkins. He's been playing with a shoulder knock, apparently, for a few weeks since he came in the team. Everybody's it's, ill. 
<laughs> so what you say? Is it time for Loris Carius to step up? That is the rumor. Dubravka did not train yesterday, so apparently, as we're sat here, as Newcastle need to beat AC Milan tonight at St James's Park. I've just been to the back page to get me scarf because it's scarf night at St James's Park. Way. Um, so <laughs> we've got we've got Loris Carius apparently playing tonight in goal in a game where, as I say, Newcastle need to win against AC Milan and hope that Borussia Dortmund beat Paris Saint-Germain for Newcastle to get into the, the next round of the Champions League because that's what that penalty call in Paris did to our campaign. Mm. Oh, God, I, I don't have any... I don't hold up much hope. Although I do I have a little bit of hope because Milan apparently came to St. James's Park last night and it was pissing down here in Newcastle. And instead of training like every other team does the night before the game inside the stadium, apparently they had a huddle in the middle of the pitch and then went home. Right. Um, <laughs> all I'm going to say is... Uh, be careful tonight because yeah, it might be a bit spicy. I but, am in, um, I'm in the block of seats that got released last Friday because AC Milan apparently are only bringing 2,000 with them. But they're not doing an official march through the city today because of the Christmas market. <laughs> the Christmas market has stopped their official uh, Forza march through the town. So I'm sure it'll be fine. I am a bit trepidatious though being that close. Yeah, um, just get the badge in, you'll be fine, let them know. I was saying I've got my prefects badge from year four ready to show them. I used to have some responsibility in life, there you go. Uh, but back to the game at the weekend there, Jackins, who Doggy was the one who got the opener after gaining some good work from Son down the left, which is where hmm. Trippier, I thought was fine, he wasn't showing too many signs of fatigue like he did with those two goals at Everton, but then that second one where Son sets up Richarlison, the way he flicks out his leg, he needs a rest, but he can't have a rest. Richarlison then, of course, it had to happen against Newcastle, where Alan Wilson has a podcast with Mikel Antonio where they, for a long time, took the piss out of Richarlison for not scoring too many goals. So, of course, Richarlison gets his second for the first time since I think he played for Watford um, against Newcastle here, where Dubravka, as I mentioned there, playing with an injury, was very hesitant in coming out to close down because he took it down basically on the edge of the box, centre a goal, and then took it in the box a bit more. And Dubravka was sort of, should I stay or should I go? I think Nick Pope would have done better. The more I see Dubravka play, the more I'm thinking maybe we do go for David De Gea, as, as is the rumour. I was thinking initially, yeah. is he worth the money? Is he that big of a jump in class compared to Dubravka? Again, it's a harsh thing to say because we don't know how severe this injury Dubravka has been playing with is, but I think maybe it's worth the punt. It was like you saying as well, I was going to say going back to the, the game as a whole, I hadn't heard the De Gea rumours until I was talking to our good friend Aidan Gibbons because I was saying, what do you do in January? Uh, and he was saying Calvin Phillips as well. He says, just get a bit more steel in that midfield. But going back to this game, I, I thought, like you said, the first 10 minutes at least, you looked all right, a bit tired, but you looked all right until that first one went in. And it wasn't even like you capitulated. It was just kind of like Tottenham just... Page 106. They smelt blood in the water, Ross. They did, yeah. So they did, yeah. They did, yeah. It was fully in control from pretty much that 10th minute onwards uh, where mm. Spurs Johnson, Brennan Johnson, who had a good game, I thought, as well. He then hit the post after some nice link-up play, sort of hit the angle and came back across the goal, if that makes any sort of sense. And then Dubravka, again, coming out. How much did the injury play a part? I don't know, but he gave away a penalty, a definite penalty, which Son, oh, what a pen it was. Oh, you don't save them. No, definitely not. It's I, I thought, like you said, Son had such a good game. He was having, he was just having the time. Like we say every week, he was having the, he was really enjoying his football, wasn't he? <laughs> but um, 
Textbook penalty, I'd say. Yeah, bottom corner. The net didn't even rip. It was like an old goal in the old Wembley nets. That's how hard he hit it. The way it ricocheted <laughs> off the net in the background there. Um, but then I would say it wouldn't. It wouldn't have had any impact on the game. So I'm not too angry that it didn't happen. But that was a red card from Romero Definitely. on Callum Wilson, um, who again just to highlight his comments after the game because Vicario was like they were having a bit of banter with Wilson and Vicario. Wilson has like a tame header straight at Vicario, and Vicario then goes like. Ooh! down Wilson's face down Wilson's in Wilson's face I don't know, down Wilson's face and then Wilson after the game said there's a way to win after hosting that podcast with Michael Antonio mm. but that's Eddie Howe's poo houses for you um, it was just it was a really sad day we just got battered as I say from that 10th minute onwards um, we just need reinforcements and we need better quality because it's clear that Eddie Howe I know that people like Emil Kraft have been injured for a long time and then you got Paul Dummett who's Another one of the ones who's currently fit, but is is a defender, and you're not going to change too many defenders to try and change a game, are you? Uh, within the ninety minutes, but we just need we need bodies. We're getting Definitely. we're getting a couple back now, thankfully. But yeah, we just need bodies. But it's it's uh, at least you can hang your hat on, like we were saying about United before, as when they let one in, their heads drop. You still were going up for it. I mean, we talked at length about how good of a season Anthony Gordon's having. I thought he looked good. Um, I think the uh, Joe Linton's consolation goal was nice. At least yeah. there was the uh, clearance from Miggy off the line as well. At one point, very composed, considering he just hit it on the volley like an absolute beauty. I, I, I still think, I, I don't think this Newcastle side are letting results and performances get on top of them. Um, I was, again, saying to, to our friend Aidan Gibbons that it's, now this isn't the most correct way of saying it but Newcastle are very schizophrenic right now I have no idea what side's going to turn up whenever you take to the pitch mm. but if, if you've got players coming back like you said if you, if you can get some signs in January hopefully it's enough to turn it around yeah it's the away form as well is very worrying just looking I'm just getting our results from this season up away at Man City got beat away at Brighton got beat away at Bournemouth got beat Away at Everton mm. got beat and away at Spurs mm. got beat. Away from home this season, we've got a Desmond 2-2 at West Ham, a Desmond 2-2 at Wolves, and then the rest of them, Sheffield United obviously 8-0 is on there as well, but the rest of them we've been beaten or drawn, which is yeah. worrying when you want to be pushing for those European places. Because I'm start- obviously the injuries are having a big part of playing how we are at the moment there's no getting away from that like there was a graph on match of the day so after the game there was like the, the amount of players who in the last four games have played all 360 minutes or whatever it was and there was a fair few of them but there's certain things that happen in the game like you know passing to your teammate and marking from corners and set pieces and whatnot stuff that should still be going right that, <laughs> that isn't going right and I'm wondering how much you can put in the whole fatigue thing on really basic stuff like that good because it just it feels like the stuff we were nailing when we are good we're just not nailing when we are bad and i think it's all mm. all in one big horrible mushy pot the fatigue and the basic errors and that sort of stuff so hopefully we can sort it out soon i mean uh, don't worry about it you just you, you, you gotta go through to the next round of the champions league tonight ross <laughs> But I'm just looking at the fixtures now. We've got Fulham at home at the weekend. I know they've scored 10 goals in the last two games, but, you know, we've got Fulham at home. Then we've got Luton away, Nottingham Forest at home, and then we go to the Anfield on New Year's Day. So hopefully we'll get three wins from three before that. Hopefully. But I need to to say about Alan Shearer as well. He was... Wait, did you say you're going away to Luton? Away to Luton, yeah. We should win there. Sure, but despite... 
losing against City. Luton are quite good. Aren't they? I know they are. They've been very well. Yeah. But that's against, that's against your Arsenal's and your Manchester Cities. Are they going to turn up on a cold? I don't know what day. December the twenty third is. Is that a fr- is Christmas Day on a Sunday this year? Monday this year. Are they going to rock up on a cold Saturday evening at Kenilworth Road and turn up against Newcastle? No, no, they are not. <laughs> but Alan, but yeah, yeah, Alan Shearer yeah. this week came out and said it's bang out of order for players to use the fatigue and the tiredness um, as an excuse for how they're playing, which I thought was bang out of order for a man like Alan Shearer, who is the greatest Premier League striker of all time. I'll, I'll accept that. But who, in the year 2001, five years before he retired, literally had Sir Bobby Robson build a team of young, fast uh, you know, run all day types like Jermaine Genus and Kieran Dyer. Well, I know Kieran Dyer was injury prone and Robert and all all these young lads who would run, Bellamy, who would run for him because he couldn't do it anymore. And he just had to stand in the middle of the pitch, pop it off from side to side, get in the box and score a header. I thought it was bang out of order for him of all people. Again, he retired at 29 from England so he could prolong his Newcastle career to say that fatigue doesn't play a part in how players play. Alan, you're an icon. I love you. I'd... No, I'm not going to say that. Uh, but you are a, a wonderful man. But you were bang out of order there. You, 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 you great man. I don't know what I'm saying there, but I just it riled me up when I heard that from him. Yeah, and uh, th- like you're saying there, the the fact that he had a young team built around him, and the fact that Shearer was part of that last generation of players who could have a pint and a roast dinner before a game and still feel <laughs> all right to play. Now, I'm sure um, the story is he would always have two slices of toast beans and cheese before every game and maybe a chicken breast I'm sure that I've read that somewhere but I can't remember what it was exactly but yeah I just thought when you've obviously retired at 29 from England Mm. had a team built around you for five years the last five years at Newcastle I thought it was a bit out of order to say that fatigue doesn't play play its part People, people always say that though. Uh, no matter what team it is, if you if you go through a bad run of form and you say we've got injuries and half our team are knackered, people say it's an excuse. It's like, but it, it is valid. It gets to, when it gets to a certain point, like Newcastle's are, where there's like over ten every week missing. That's a, yeah. nearly a whole team. I think you're well within your rights to say that maybe fatigue is playing its part. But then again, I will go back to that basic stuff that we're not doing right. How much is that because of fatigue and how much is that just because we're being sloppy at the minute? Uh, I'll leave that up to the comments down below. Uh, shout out to the F this week in the Premier League highlights because they got that big 2-0 win against Chelsea on Sunday and after Luton's loss to Man City, that now leaves them four points clear of the bottom three already. Mm. I think I looked in the table. If they wouldn't have had that 10-point deduction, I think they'd be 10th or 9th, I think, around yeah, there. Well above Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> it's. I think a lot of credit has to go to Sean Dyche the, the um the 10 point deduction has somehow galvanized them I know they were in form before that deduction went to place but this is what three wins on the spin now for the Ev my uh, nephew who's an Everton fan shared a reel the other day and it just said Everton after the 10 point deduction and it was the classic 2010 Spain team lineup <laughs> um yeah I, I I thought the looked really I, I've got a soft spot for the Ev but um Decore, uh, McNeil, they're all they've all been playing really well. Like I said, Calvert Lewin's come back from injury and he's 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 not got injured again yet, touch wood. So they're they're looking all right. Yeah. I think they'll be fine. Aye, uh, big short. He's the most underrated manager in the world, Sean Dice. I love the guy. 
I wouldn't mm. mind a bit Newcastle me. Obviously not now with the money, but you know when he was the perfect manager for the Mike Ashley era of Newcastle United was Sean, and I'm I'm sad it never happened. Um, but yeah, interesting <laughs> social media share by Dwight McNeil after the game as well. Did you see this? Now I don't know no, if I've been whizzle wazzled by Twitter here, but someone posted a side by side of what. Dwight McNeil posted on social media. It was him and Decore doing like the the celebration they were doing, but mm. clearly, then he po- they, the guy on Twitter was like like a, a, a nice like edit from Dwight McNeil, and one picture, the before picture, just had Dwight McNeil with a normal sized groin, and then the one that Dwight McNeil had shared had the massive blown up groin. So if Dwight McNeil is you know enhancing himself you know digitally, I guess fair play, but also where aren't you? I mean, that speaks to the the belief of this Everton side that if he has done that, then he thinks he can get away with it. He's like, yeah, why not? Maybe it's on purpose because that is the thing the kids say, isn't it? The other BDE, the big dick energy. Maybe he's on for that mm-hmm. one. That's I mean, analysis. You know, give, give it to dick energy until the end of the season. He's, he's <laughs> Who is dick energy? I'm trying to... Dirk Kout is dick energy. <laughs> Of all the people to pick, Dick Cout. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about the guy who would never stop running. Miggy Alvaron, he is Dick mm. Energy. Who yeah. is the quintessential Dick Energy for you in terms of football? When you when you say in Cout, that is a shout. Uh, I'd also go for, uh, thinking back to my childhood, I'd say uh, 90s Steve McManaman as well. <laughs> Isn't that right, Fletch? Anyway, more <laughs> football headlines from the past seven days. I'll let you take the lead on this one. I'll just set the scene. It was a rainy June Monday night at Anfield. Was that what it was? Something like that. Yes, it was Monday night, yeah. And obviously Liverpool have been extending the Anfield Road end. They had an event, like a tester event, to just make sure it wouldn't fall down. Mm. <laughs> so they had, I think, 10,000 fans inside the stand just jumping up and down. Klopp made them jump up and down at the end, didn't they? But Klopp had an interview on the pitch. And what did he say, Jarkins? Well, he was uh, he was feeling feeling quite buoyant and a bit bullish, I'd say, Ross. Um, he was talking about because obviously we had the big midfield rebuild, we had the accepted yet failed bid for Moises Casado, and um, by doing you know before he went to Chelsea, and what's his name? I've forgotten his name. Southampton lad, Lever. Yeah, uh, Romeo Lavia, Lavia, <laughs> Lavia. Well, yeah. I said Lever. Lucas Lever. Lucas Lever. Dick That's Energy. Thinking of. <laughs> um, and obviously, both, like, after after the Casado thing, balls up, uh, Lavia went to Chelsea as well, and neither of them have been in good form. And uh, Klopp was discussing the saga and kind of said he, we were lucky to miss out on both of them. Um <laughs> And the quote from Klopp, as is written here, is the summer we had a few strange things happen in the transfer market, but here between us, I can say, my God, we were lucky, eh? <laughs> we didn't know that in that moment and it didn't feel like it in that moment. But yeah, I'm really happy that it worked out, but you never know before. We obviously realised that other central defensive midfielders don't want to join Liverpool. You see what happens. And then we found Bataro Endo. He's an exceptional player. Uh, a bit of knobbery there from Klopp, but considering how things happened, you can't blame him for saying it. No, I like this side of knobbery from Klopp because he's like, between you and us in this age of camera phones and social media, yeah. I knew what he was doing. Um, but yeah, conversely, the bad side of the knob- like this This happened in the past week as well, didn't it? Like when he bit on that um, Marcus Buckley for saying, oh, your favourite kickoff time at 12.30. It's just a joke, Jürgen, you dick. But again, the, the things that I'm defending Klopp for is the same things that I used to give Fergie pelters for. It's 
<laughs> managers are always going to do it, aren't they? And when it's your manager, you get defensive of them. Yeah, but he was very, very good here. It was a nice little comment to make. And obviously now, next time Liverpool play Chelsea, Chelsea will win 2-0 and the goals will come from those two defensive midfielders that you spoke about. Uh, well, we never know. <laughs> right, over to Turkey, because this is unbelievable, as Alberto Moreno said once upon a time. Turkish football has been suspended <laughs> at all levels indefinitely after a referee was assaulted by a club president following a Super League match on Monday that you heard me correctly there. Right then, how do you pronounce this, Sharkins? Ankara Guku? Ankara Ankara Guku. That's what we'll go with. Their president, which will get us demonetized, but here we go. Farouk Kokka uh, stormed onto the pitch following his side's 1 1 draw at home to Rizespor and punched the referee Halil Umit Mele uh, while he was also kicked by other fans who invaded the pitch. The, the, uh, the footage is harrowing. It's harrowing. Just mm. the sort of referees covering up as best he can. He's just getting kicked left, right, and centre. Uh, Cocker and two others have been arrested following the incident, which has quickly gained global attention and scrutiny. As we're sat here, I'm in Newcastle, you're in Liverpool. We're not in Turkey, and we're talking about this. So I guess that is true. Um, but there was yeah. horrible footage from the. It was, it was horrible footage, but it was also funny because <laughs> the referee was in his hospital bed, but he had a neck brace on. <laughs> And he sort of, it was like the stereotypical, his body might as well have been in a full body cast. That's how he looked in that bed, which was ever so slightly funny if you enjoy things burning down or something like that. But yeah, it was in the moment, a horrible thing to see. The moment was horrible. And when I saw the footage of him in the bed, I thought, oh, this can't be real. I thought it was like from something else and someone had like deep faked it. But um, I can't blame him for doing that, especially if he's, he's going to have a lawsuit yeah, on his hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, my ex years ago was in a very minor car crash and went to see a doctor and I went with her to the doctors and this doctors was on an industrial estate for some reason <laughs> in the car park in front was a Bentley <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, the doctor in question I'm not naming any names but it's fine the doctor in question was saying do you have any pains in your neck <laughs> uh, and uh, there was a nice little settlement out of it but um You've got to play up to it. Go back to the actual incident. Very serious, horrible footage. Uh, there's the actual photo of when the because when you see it, it looks like just like a little jab. It doesn't look like the um, poker. I'm going to call him to to try and avoid us getting in trouble. It didn't look like he hit him too much, but there's actually a photo where he proper wobbles his jaw. And like you said, when he is in in the fetal position on the floor getting kicked, it's not nice. And for all we give guff to refs and we want them to be accountable, we never want them anyone to be in the firing line no. like this not at all but um i hope i hope his neck's okay and that he can get out of that out of that bed and out of that neck break soon and return to the game if he wants to yeah there's a line isn't there no, obviously i mean fans in turkey cross the line more than most it's i think that's a fair comment to say and they've done it again here so we'd never mm. want to see that sort of thing happen maybe just shout a few obscenities towards them that's all it needs to be no nothing yeah, more I nothing less you, I'm, I'm all for calling a referee goose. a wanker. You, you, you wank, yeah. Aye, you silly Billy. Aye. That's ungentlemanly conduct there. <laughs> Chelsea captain Rhys James is set to see a hamstring specialist in a bit to get to the bottom of his latest setback. He's unlikely to return to action until February and or March, I saw written in the press this week. Uh, James obviously has a history of hamstring injuries and limp from the pitch in the first half of Chelsea's Premier League defeat to Everton at the weekend. It was on Saturday. I thought it was on Sunday. 
Was it on Saturday? I thought I thought it was on Sunday. Yeah, I'm sure I saw the gold things on, on Sky Sports when we were playing Spurs. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, it was at the weekend. Uh, already this season, he's missed two <laughs> months after uh, suffering a similar issue in the opening game back in August. It's been uh, worked out by various media outlets that he's missed a full 35 games since he debuted for Chelsea, which, considering he's just 23, about to turn 24, is bad. Yeah, were we saying the other week that we wondered if he could become the new Ledley King? If it's a case of just saying to him, just do the lightest to minimal amount of training you can and we'll just have to play you when you fit. Because he is a fantastic player, but he could be the new Ledley King or he could be the new Darren Anderson. It's it's a shame to see. Yeah, at least it looks like they're going to take some time here to get to the bottom of what the issue is and send it to a hamstring specialist. Imagine being a hamstring specialist. How do you end up that as a sounds, hamstring specialist? It sounds like the kind of person who'd be on barbecue pitmasters. I was going to say, yeah, good out of the butchers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's some prime hamstring. Uh, but yeah, because he, <laughs> he, he would, I think he would be England's first choice right back now if he wasn't mm. as injury prone as he is. I think he is the perfect hybrid between sort of Trippier's defensive stuff when he's not knackered playing against Son and Trent going forward. I think he is the perfect hybrid of the two and he would be the first choice. But yeah. Hopefully injuries aren't going to ruin his career, but it certainly looks like it could be the case as he nears his 24th birthday. Or maybe he's already had it, Did, I don't know. I, I didn't realise it was uh, 35 games. Like, that's that's ridiculous. Already? And Yeah. And I, I always forget his age, as, as we found out in the Friday Fun Club recently when I had the pleasure <laughs> of your company. In my head, he's 26, 27, but he's not, is he? Yeah. And, and speaking of an, an old man, I guess, well, we thought he was an old man, but an actual old man. I say an old man, he's 39, that's only a few years older than the pair of us. Uh, Juventus mm. nearly set it back. Giorgio Cellini has confirmed his retirement from football at the age of 39. He spent the final two years of his career at LAFC, winning the MLS Cup in 2022, and that's the most important trophy he ever won that win over the Columbus crew. That was the biggest highlight of his career. Um, So yeah, he says on a statement on X.com, you have been the most beautiful and intense journey of my life. Oh God! Uh, you have been in my you have been my everything. With you, I have travelled a unique and unforgettable path. But now it is time to start new chapters, face new challenges, and write further important and exciting pages of life. The Italians have got a way with words, which is beautiful. That's lovely, that isn't it? And what a player! Yeah. Like you're saying that that MLS Cup, obviously the cherry on a a, a, a glistening career. Uh, never mind the nine back-to-back Serie A wins. <laughs> with Juventus. Only the 17 years at Juventus, obviously, eventually would become a part of the famous BBC at the back there, um, which obviously was iconic in its own right. I mean, he spent mm. one afternoon with away days looking at little football shirts, and look what's happened to him. You see that on YouTube, the elder away days mm. on YouTube. Big Ellis. Up oh, the Ellis, he's a fantastic man. Uh, but yeah, he had a Chilini on looking at his old football. Well, look at shirt hunting for shirts he would be interested to buy and stuff and looking back at his career shirts and whatnot. And look what's happened to me a week later. He's retired from the game. So cheers, Ellis, you dick. He's not a dick, I was, he's a nice I, man. I wish I was Ellis Patton. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was looking up um, Chiellini's career because I was just like, obviously the... the didn't win the European Cup while he's part of the squad. I was surprised to see he wasn't part of the, at least in the squad for the Italy's World Cup win. Oh, yeah. He was like, yeah. I didn't realise, obviously being 39 now, I mm. I always thought he was around a lot earlier than what he was. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's like that of Italian players, though. You always forget that, you know, around a lot longer than he was, if you know what I mean. He was once a young man before he became the beautiful sommelier that he did become. Um <laughs> But I, I, it shows how like 
little the MLS really pings across my radar. I didn't realise he'd been at LA, LAFC for the last two years. <laughs> well, you're not missing much, are you, over there? Apart from when Messi's debut happened. What a game that was. Stepping up with a free kick anyway. We go from Cellini, we'll never forgive you for the assault on Bukayo Saka in the Euro final, you dick. Uh, but what a career it was. Fair play to you. All the best to you in your future endeavours. Uh, we go from the news of the week to the highlight of the week. Do you want to go first this week? I will go first this week, Ross. Uh, and my highlight of the week involves a player that has not been a highlight for me for decades. He's not been a highlight for you for decades. And his name around here is Mud. But it's... Uh, it's Michael Owen. <laughs> Michael Owen going full Alan Partridge on the Upfront podcast, <laughs> talking about bravery in trying to launch an apple core at the bin in his parents' house and hitting the wall and getting a bollocking from his mum, but continuing, hoping to get a nod of approval from his dad if he got an apple into the bin. It's ridiculous. Um, I don't know if you can insert the clip, Ross, but if you can't, There'll be a link below, I'm sure, somewhere. Oh, it's- I'm sure. If you just search Michael Owen Apple on X or whatever, you'll see you'll see the clip. It's it's the use of the it's how brazen Brave Bravery. Yet- bravery. Because we get what he's saying. Like, you know, your mom does go mad when she, the wallpaper gets hurt. And who has a bin next to the TV, by the way? What's going on there? That's yeah, a bit weird. Unless yeah. yeah, I was gonna say unless it was like a kitchen TV, but even then, if if you got like a food stain in a kitchen, it's not too big of a deal, is it? Yeah, we guess what we get what he's saying and saying like, oh, you know, she's told me off once before for getting the wallpaper a bit dirty, so I'm gonna go go for it again. I don't know what the word is because I'm not very clever, but the word is not bravery. <laughs> um, cheekiness, cheeky, yeah, a little cheeky scamp, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Michael Owen was the highlight of my week. I also want to give uh, I, I, because it's Christmas. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to the Ev as well um, because obviously around this time of year we don't like it for any team. It's Tory behaviour, but poverty chanting. Uh, obviously Chelsea were bringing out like feed the scousers and all that, and uh, Everton just as soon as the chance started on the scoreboard, put the fan support and food banks logo up. So. Fair play to the Ev. Fair play to the Ev. So from the Ev, I go over to Spain because Girona this week won 4-2 away at Barcelona with Middles' better icon. The last time they were in the Premier League, Christian Stuani getting the clincher after Barcelona scored an added time to make Girona sweat. The result now means that Girona are top of La Liga, having played 16 games, won 13, drawn two, lost one. They've scored 38 goals in those 16 games. They've conceded 20, but, you know, who cares? They've scored 38. They're two points clear of Real Madrid in second place after 16 games. They're now, what are they? Seven points clear of Barcelona after 16 games, who are fourth, by the way. Atletico are third. This Girona team with Christian Stuani as... One of the linchpins. It's an unbelievable. It's a it's a Leicester happening again. I, I hope I hope they can go all the way. Um, and if they do, we've got to go over to Girona because um, it was a, a few seasons ago. I know it's slightly different, but when my mate Jeff ended up in Madrid uh, accidentally, well, he booked a trip to Madrid anyway. But it was the weekend that Atletico had won uh, won La Liga, and he said it was the best party he's ever been to in his life. Uh, so <laughs> me and you to Girona, where I'll quietly eat. Paella, and you can, uh, I don't know, have some Modelo or, oh, it's Mexican, isn't it? Australia, I don't know. Some kind of Spanish beer, Ross, but 
16 games at the top. It's amazing. I hope I, I love stuff like this. I hope they can go all the way. I really so, do. So do I. Just looking at some of their players that I'm recognising here. Obviously, Stuani is their captain, apparently, according to Wikipedia, which I didn't realise. Then they've got Paolo Gazaniga, formerly of mm. Spurs and Southampton. They've got Daley Blind, who's there. Yeah. They have uh, Wampe, who I'm familiar with, but I don't know if that's just through my games and whatnot that I play. Apart from that, there's not too many more... Uh, Jan Kuto is on loan from Manchester City, apparently. Or oh, Eric Garcia on loan from Barcelona. Yeah. Look at the one who I think that's the one who used to play for for Man City. Is it? Yes, it is. That's the one who used to play for Man City. So they are doing this with very little household names, which is obviously making it all the more better. So hopefully it can continue. It's just the way that goal because it's at the near post as well. The Stuani goal at the end. There's a player on the line. It hits the player on the line, but then it hits the, the side netting. Everyone goes mad. It's just fantastic. And the fact he used to play, when he used to play for Middles better when they were crap as well. Unbelievable. Hep the better. Hep the better. I think he scored a goal in the Weir Tees derby once, which was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had a moment of like amazement then. When you said Daily Blint, I thought you meant his dad, former Ajax player, Danny Blint. I was like, God, he must be about 50. That's amazing. <laughs> I thought Daily Blint must be about 50. He's now 33. Oh, oh wow, he... I didn't realise he was that old. Yeah, oh, he, he overcame that. What was that thing he had with him a few years ago? Was it his heart or something he had a bit of an issue with? Did he have a murmur, maybe? Yeah. Uh, on December the 21st, 2019, it was revealed that Blind had been diagnosed with myocarditis and had been fitted mm. with a, a cardioverter defibrillator. So, yeah, fair play to him for overcoming that and getting himself to top of La Liga. That is my highlight of the week, that game, and just the general state of Girona uh, currently. Mm. From there, we go to the Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial Twat of the Week. I'll go first this time, and it's Joey Barton. Do I need to say any more? I'll just go for it. He's saying, like, women shouldn't be taking any kind of authority in the men's game. Come on, let's be serious. It's a completely different game. If you don't accept that, we'll always see things differently. The women's game is thriving. Fantastic to see. I cannot take things they say serious in the men's game. Hashtag namaste. Then he doubled down, which makes him a bigger twat of the week than a normal twat of the week. Maybe we're reading this, the Joey Barton Memorial twat of the week segment, because he incorrectly recalled Courtney Sweetman-Kirk's commentary over Endo's goal against Fulham. She was having a go saying, well, clearly Endo hasn't hit that with his laces. Everyone can see it's the inside of his foot. Why is she saying different? But no, she was saying, oh, many people would would hit that with the laces, but he's had the composure to open his foot yeah. and swaz it in the top corner. Um... It's a load of bollocks just done by a man who has launched a podcast fairly recently, I see, and who also is out of work, who by doing this now has surely ended his chances of getting work over here for the foreseeable future. Um, And also, I just think it's a non-argument. Football is football. I've seen a lot of people say that, but it is true. And punditry is punditry. You have bad pundits and you have good pundits. Emma Hayes, one of my favourite pundits. Andy Hinchcliffe, who was a man. One of my least favourite human beings in the world. Oh, I'm Andy Hinchcliffe. You know, average Premier League left back from the 90s. Kevin De Bruyne just should have done this. It would have been easy for him to do this. <laughs> Who are you, Andy Hinchcliffe, to say that? Um, and again, if Joey Barton's saying, well, if they didn't play that this level of the game, they shouldn't be commentating on it. So, for example, when Mika Richards is on CBS doing the Champions League semi-finals or Champions League final, he shouldn't be on that game then because he never played in that sort of stuff. That's Is that what he's saying? Is I don't, I don't know where the argument stops. And I, I know it's not really pundits, but someone like turned it onto presenters as well. Then saying, "Well, is he also saying that like Des Lynham and Jeff Stelling can't, you know, have a say then, even though they've been around the game for decades and decades because they never played at 
you know, they never played, never mind at that level. It's it's a baseless argument from a massive arsehole. I can't stand Jerry Barton. He's just not a nice fella. Um, and this was, like you were saying about, he, he made a podcast appearance recently talking about, you know, the um, the murder of Anthony Walker by his, his his brother and just kind of like downplayed that. So he's just a knobhead. The fact he's put Namaste and then since then he's gone, he's further leaned into the far right online crap. I Not hate bad. him. I hate him because he's dining off being the best player in a really bad Manchester City side. And he's dining mm. off three months of good football at Newcastle out with a five-year stint he had there. And he thinks he's the dog's bollocks and I wish he would piss off. Get him over to Saudi so never to hear from him again. Uh, who's your twat of the week? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's clearly Jerry Barton, but I've gone for... I, I, I don't think this was technically in the last week. It was slightly longer, but... It, I've gone for the UK government for not backing a Hillsborough law. Um, obviously, this hits harder to me as a Liverpool fan, but fan safety should be the priority no matter who you support, what ground you're at. Uh, this isn't about point scoring. It's not about anything like that. So the government wants to go again, go, oh, yeah, sorry, we haven't say, well, we've taken a while to get back to you. Yeah, but no. Yeah, it's it's a slap in the face. If, if you're not aware of what the Hillsborough law proposals uh, the proposals are it would introduce a legally enforceable positive duty of candor for police and all public authorities to assist investigations into a major incident and equal public funding for legal representation of bereaved families at inquiries and inquests. Luckily, we've not had any major incidents on English soil for years. And luckily, the the Champions League Paris final, there was nothing too major over there, but it's... It, things can go badly quickly still with poor planning and with bad uh, infrastructures and there should be something in place to see that things like Hillsborough never happen again. Say no more. I don't know why I say mm. it back to Jack. I just fully yeah, agree yeah. with you. just should be a thing. Uh, we go from a very serious twat of the week to welcome to Brighton and Hove Albion fullback Purvis Estepinian. What are you talking about, dear fan? Uh, we obviously take an opinion, a hot take from people who listen to this bollocks each and every week and we either agree with it or pull it apart and have a laugh. This one starts, good evening, hold and give team. I'm going to preface this Purvis est opinion by saying yes, I am an Arsenal fan, although I'm sending it to a Newcastle fan, so I think it doesn't seem too biased. Simply put, Thierry Henry is the greatest striker, if not the greatest player in Premier League history. Whilst I concede that Shearer is probably the best goal scorer, he's put in abbreviated commas for some reason, <laughs> he is just the best goal scorer in league history, but as an all-round player, Henri cannot be matched. Scoring, pace, power, passing, assists, he had it all. Also in relation, side opinion, Henri not winning the Ballon d'Or in 03-04 is one of the greatest football robberies of all time love the content guys keep it up and that's from lewis in bogner regis hep the bogner regis hep the bogner baby i'll let you go first i don't think this is controversial um we've said before on this podcast uh was we picking our all-time premier league 11 i was saying about how much i loved watching terry on rear arsenal and that when you when you do talk about the greatest players of all time it's Audrey and Shearer are the first two that you usually come to. Um, where am I up to here? Yeah. Um, I, without bringing personal bias into it, 
like I struggle to think of who you could argue was better. Honestly, um, I'm I'm gonna go with Lewis in this one. But over to you, Roscoe. You bitch. Well, there's a couple of big asterisks you need to put on Shearer's name when it comes to his career because the guy had two massive knee injuries and a big ankle injury that took three years of his career away from Mm. him. If you judge Blackburn, Alan Shearer, against Arsenal Thierry Henry, I think it's a lot more of a fairer discussion and your opinion might not be as gung-ho... Gunner's pun-ish, kind of, uh, as it actually is. Because obviously a lot of what people think when they think of Shearer is centre-forward, elbows, headers, twatting it in from the edge of the box, that sort of stuff. But if you look at the running he used to do when he played for uh, Blackburn Mm. especially, some of the deft finishes he used to do. There was this goal, I forget who it was against, really early on in Premier League history, but he runs through and he chips the goalkeeper, which was a very Thierry Henry goal but scored by Alan Shearer for Blackburn Rovers at Ewood Park in like 1993 or something like that. Um, That's the big asterisk I always put on that when people say Henri was just a lot better footballer because obviously Shearer, I have had a go on this podcast for saying he had a team built around him when he was in his 30s, but up until, well, he had to, he he changed his game, basically. Like, you know, we do wrestling stuff. Stone Cold Steve Austin, pre-neck injury, technical prowess fantastic wrestler post neck injury not being able to do as many much stuff as he used to do brawler that sort of stuff shearer pre-knees and ankle one kind of player post knees and ankle a different kind of player so i think that's a big asterisk or asterisks you need to put on thierry Henry. and i just think they're different players so they can't be compared but at the end of the day jackins what is a goal scorer judged on He's judged by goals, right? He's judged by goals. And also to say on the Shearer thing, I know I have said he had a team built around him at Newcastle and whatnot, which is true. But again, Thierry Henry, when his career dropped off, down it went. He didn't last at the top as long as Big Al did. I, I, and I would argue you, that. you put Shearer in that Arsenal team that Henry had the pleasure of playing for, he would have scored 25 to 50 goals every single game. Never mind 25 to 50 goals a season. I don't know why I said 50 goals. He never got that high. 25 to 35 goals a season. <laughs> I, I think for me, and like I said, I, I don't take anything away from Alan Shearer. I loved him as a kid, but it's just what Henri made me feel as a neutral watching him. I think that's what I'm going with. It's yeah, just yeah. heart overhead. Yeah. I get it. But I do think if you... if I reckon Blackburn Shearer could come close to doing most of what Thierry Henry could do. But I do understand what Lewis from hmm. Bognor Regis is trying to say, but I'm never going to say that anyone is better than Alan Shearer because he is the god. The good. Hup, the good. We'll, we'll bypass the Wonder Kid for this week. This is my call, everybody. Uh, I do need to get going fairly re- recently because, well, fairly soonish because I've got a ticket for tonight's game and I'm worried about getting this podcast exported beforehand. So we'll go straight on <laughs> to the Roberto Mailbaggio, <laughs> Ross at holdinggive.com. Hello, Ross and Jack. I am back with a question today with a bit of a play, with a bit of play in football. Oh, sorry. What bit of play in football gives you an orgasmic feeling when watching a game? For me, I would have to say a spicy Rabona. Is something I really enjoy in football, and that comes from Scott. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a big tackle for me. It's two things, actually. A big tackle where, especially at Newcastle, excuse me, you hear this guttural, get in! Mm. That makes me hard. And the other thing that makes me hard is Euro 2012, Andy Carroll scores this header against Sweden. That kind of header with Clive Tilsley on the call. (laughs) Oh... Obviously, put him and Shearer together. It's a similar feeling. But Andy Carroll, bosh, 
Clive Tilsley, Carol. Oh my god, I can't contain myself, Satya. Now it's what we refer. To, we're going. We're going to page five. What we refer to as a proper header. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, so, I'm getting I, carried away. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I agree with you, especially with a good tackle. But for me, it's it's not something to see it as much, and it's more. I love an unnecessary overhead kick from a defender in their own box. <laughs> Massive fan of it. There's just something so it's it just proper football Italia vibes. Forget Roberto um Mailbaggio. This is the Dino Mailbaggio here. I know. <laughs> but just just seeing it, even when there's no like there's no danger, even when there's nothing fraught, it just comes and someone thinks, I'm gonna hit this with an overhead kick for no reason. Oh, love it. Yeah, unbelievable stuff. We move on with Roberto Mel Baglio. Baglio? Baglio? Baglio. Good evening, you duo of football and in brackets and wrestling experts. Uh, apologies if the question has already been asked before, but what is your favourite every derby goal? So we're going to take every derby in the world football. What's your favourite derby goal? Mine would have to be the Henrik Larsson chip over Stefan Kloss. What a LMA manager. Early noughties, Stefan Kloss was always... Remember how they had the green bars instead of like a rating point score? Yeah. His green bar was always so full in terms of how good he was. I never understood it. <laughs> anyway, if you're a Rangers fan, let me know how good Stefan Kloss was in real life. Because to be honest with you, I didn't really say him play, play too much. Um, we have, have you have seen this goal, haven't you? Uh, Eric Larson. Long time ago. Uh, yeah, long time ago. Oh, yes. Uh, the flick on from Sutton, the nutmeg, and the chip from Larson, and the commentator with, oh, he's in, Eric Larson. Imagine if Clive Tilsey was on the call. Uh, so, what is your favourite ever goal against Sunderland and Everton or Man United or Man City for Liverpool? <laughs> Thanks for the content. Hep the better. And I've forgotten to write the word of his name down because I'm a massive arsehole. While you speak about yours, Jack Atkins, I'm going to find the name of that. I was going to call him like a... I was trying to think of a collective name for a Holding Give Football podcast listener, but I'll just put that listener. Thank you, that listener. Um, <laughs> I only looked at the Merseyside derby for this because I didn't realise it was every derby goal. Uh, for the Merseyside derby, it's got to be Gary McAllister, 2001. Absolutely battering a free kick in from, what, 40, 45 yards, I'd say. A um, To this... It just smashes it. I want to say 90th minute. Uh, it still gets sung about, you know, we we loved your derby goal. Your derby goal. Oh, Gary McAllister. Obviously, Divock Origi making Jordan Pickford look like a twat in 2018 was beautiful. But Gary Mack's the one that comes to mind. And again, it's Christmas. I'm in a given mood. Phil Jagielka's last minute screamer <laughs> for Everton in 2014 was gorgeous. And I even remember it. I was just like, you bastard. That's lovely. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, they're my picks for the Merseyside derby. I think I always remember from the Gary Mack goal is Julier's face. He sort of goes like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, oh, you cheeky boy. <laughs> Uh, that, this question comes from David Moore, by the way. So thank you, David Moore. Uh, my favourite time we had Derby goal has to be Shola from the 5-1. It's a picture of the mm. scene. I, I forget if it's the fourth or the fifth. I think it's the fifth goal. So Kevin Nolan... Oh, hang on, I'm going to have to check this out. Newcastle, five. Sunderland, one. I can't remember who scored the fourth and the fifth. Sunderland. Anyway, the ball <laughs> gets whipped in. It is the fifth goal because I can't see the time on the bottom of it. Oh, no, is it the seventh? No, it's the fourth goal. So 70th minute. Then Kevin Nolan made it five in the 75th. So Andy Carroll is at the back stick. The ball gets whipped in. He crashes a header off the underside of the bar, but not so far on the other side of the bar. It sort of bounces back out and bounces on the six-yard line. 
And after that first bounce on the six-yard line-ish, arriving like a steam locomotive motion mo- mo- thing, a locomotive train. I don't know what I'm doing, Jack Atkins. Why I, am I a podcast? I thought host? you were going to say then. I thought you were going to say arriving like Steed Balbrum. <laughs> Definitely not, because I think he would have played in this game, and it was wank, because Sunderland got beat 5 1. Was Shola Amiobi? He was like a horse galloping down the back straight on the Grand National, and he's arriving at such pace, the quickest Shola can move, which I exceed, except, sorry, isn't very quick at all, but still, hmm. it looked impressive. And on the side winding volley, twats it in, and I mean. Howitzer's in. Howitzer. <laughs> Unbelievable strike on the side volley from Shola Amiobi, who is the Mackham Slayer. Um, Shola, <laughs> Shola from Fenham did something appropriate to finish off the chant. Um, so, yeah, that goal, because it's Shola, because it's Sunderland, obviously, well, we'll pick my favourite derby goal, just because it's Shola doing something that Shola shouldn't be mm. able to do, because he was... he's. There's certain people in life who get way ahead compared to what they should do. Like, how Shola Amiobi survived that many Newcastle managers and especially found an, a Shola Amiobi fetishist at the tail end of his career at Newcastle and Alan Pardew, who loved the guy for some reason. Because Shola was wank. Every it's, Newcastle it's... every Newcastle fan, I think Newcastle fans more than most football fans, just love a crap player, but who you can see can do flashes of good stuff but he's more crap so he just he, like Jacob Murphy is my current yeah. one he's he's not very good he's decent but he's not very good but I love him because he smiles nice and he's funny on the social media and whatnot so I love him but yeah Shola was that guy 10 years ago and the, that goal he scored there I, I'm just I, I'm still recovering from thinking about Andy Carroll's header at Euro 2012 to be honest with you <laughs> all I'm saying is Sammy Amiobi could never <laughs> He almost did. He was a much better footballer than Shola, but then he got rid because he wasn't good. And he, yeah, whatever. Uh, lads, why is Eric Ten Hag getting so much stick when Pep failed in his first season and Klopp wouldn't out for a couple of years? I can't remember these those two lads getting as many pelters as Eric is, and I don't think that's fair. All the best to you and yours this festive season. Jim from Grimsby. And we covered this at length in the earlier parts of the podcast. Do you see them having a point there, though, Jaggins? Liverpool, man. <laughs> It's, it's like I said, I was saying before, though, at least with Klopp and with Pep, and I'd even argue with Arteta, you could see that the players were buying into it and there was definitely forward progression. It feels like things have stagnated. I don't think they've started uh, going backwards yet, but there's definitely stagnation at United. Again, I, I feel I feel as much as I can for a Man United manager. I do feel for Ten Hag. I hope we pump them at the weekend, but he does deserve more time and a proper crack of the whip. But... For me, most of the blame does go to the players rather than the manager. Yeah, same. Yeah, I guess the one thing is to say, like, there isn't that clear like direction for the team, and that's the the mm. end goal is seen like a year and a half into his reign. I guess that's what people are hung up on. But again, going back to what we said earlier, it is the players first, the recruitment before that as well. So the recruitment needs sorted out in terms of like the play, the people who are buying the players. Like Newcastle's yeah. got Dan Ashworth. I'm not sure who Liverpool have currently. Who have they got? Do you know? Oh, uh, we've got Jorg Schmatka at the moment because we. <laughs> Jörg Schmatka. <laughs> and we think he only got the job because he's also German and uh, he's a fan of the band Die Totenhosen, who Jürgen Klopp is also a big fan of. So the jury's still out on him, but uh, we got a good midfield in. But did you, yeah, what did you say? Die, Die Totenhosen? Die Totenhosen. The something trousers, I think that means. Just make it up. I want to check them out if Jürgen Klopp listens to them. Bit of, bit of heavy metal and all that sort of stuff. 
mm. crazy bastard. But yeah, obviously recruitment needs sorted out. Then the playing squad needs sorted out. Then I think Eric, Eric Ten Hag can either, because I, I don't think he can really do much with the players he's got at his disposal. Again, I go back to that that rule apparently that they have of three big transfers for the first team squad per window. Needs more than that. Needs six, seven, mm. eight to really get him to put his, his stamp on the team. I think that's what I was trying to say earlier, to put his stamp on the team. Yeah, and again, going going to the book, page 42, there's too many, it seems, mercenaries in that team, too many individuals, whereas, like we said, if, if you've got Scott McTominay really stepping up for the cause, nothing against Scott McTominay, but he shouldn't be the, the standout in a Man United squad really should he no not at all so thank you for no. your submissions to the Roberto Mail Baggio please 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 send them in to Ross at holdandgive.com that's all the words and no syllables for the ands not syllab syllables symbols I'm not with it today I describe myself feeling as uncomposed or as composed as a one leg pigeon before the podcast and I'm sure you will agree that has come to fruition as the podcast has gone on any closing thoughts before we go away Jargons None. Uh, I just want to know: Are you are you doing the pizza punks tonight, or are you going against against oh, against the grain? We're changing it up controversially. I think we we left it too because we got the tickets last Friday. We left it too late to make the p- pizza punks uh, reservation, so we're heading mm. Bar Loco, which is just down the road from St James's Park, for a pizza still, but it's a different restaurant. So hopefully, it's the pizza that's the good luck charm and not the location. Well, fingers crossed for you. Um... Hep, hep the mags. I don't know if that's what you say. Uh, how are you the lads and all that? Come on. I got my scarf. I'll tell you what it says. I'll tell you what it says. I was looking for it. They had all these players, you know, individual players ones. They had a Jason Tindall scarf, but no Jacob Murphy scarf. Can you believe that? And I know you love Jason Tindall, but how I feel about Jason Tindall is how you feel about Jürgen Klopp most weeks. There it is. How are you the lads? And basically what you do is you just put it like that and just swing it around your head like that and it looks fantastic when 52,000 are doing that. Anyway, hopefully I don't get stabbed. Please, Milan, be kind. Hopefully Newcastle win and we'll see you next week for something. I don't know what, but we'll see you for something. We should have said this before we shot, but we're flying by the seat of our pants here. Please click on either of those two videos right here. It will help us out greatly. Leave a like, leave a comment, do a share if you're feeling fruity. I've been Ross by Jack and... Ross? I've been Ross by Jack Atkins. A wonderful novel. Sold over three (laughs) copies. And we'll see you whenever we see you. Merry Christmas, everyone. Ooh.